Welcome to the Plan Vision Podcast, where we share simple, straightforward investment and planning ideas for normal people. The description in this podcast is for informational purposes only. Do not construe this as personal tax, financial, or legal advice for your situation. Hello, this is Jason Lynch from Plan Vision. Today's brief podcast will be an overview of health savings accounts in the U.S., known as HSA. Uh, I'm going to start with the references, a brief overview of the HSAs, uh, pros and cons of the HSAs. References are healthcare.gov, IRS publication 969, which which is health savings accounts, uh, IRS publication 502, medical and dental expenses, and the oblivious investor. He wrote a very brief but very informative article, blog post on an inherited HSA, which technically there are no inherited HSAs. We'll address that at the end. Okay, so first, what is an HSA? An HSA is a type of savings account that allows you to put aside pre-tax money for qualified medical expenses. An HSA may only be used if you have a high deductible health plan, HDHP. In plan year 2020, the minimum deductible for an HDHP is $1,400 for an individual and $2,800 for a family. The maximum deductible under these plans is $6,900 for an individual and $13,800 for a family. The limits in 2020 are the following. You may contribute up to $3,550 for self-only coverage and up to $7,100 if you have a family uh, family plan in the HSA. Additional $1,000 annual catch-up contributions are allowed starting the year that you turn 55 and the year your spouse turns 55. So for you, for those of you scoring at home, you could put in $9,100 for 2020 if both spouses are age 55 or over. $7,100 for the normal family coverage or normal family HSA uh, plus $1,000 for the one spouse and the other spouse can also contribute $1,000. Note that the spouse without the HDHP in their name would open a separate HSA that they contribute $1,000 to. Um, And then they could contribute each year after that. Okay, how is it used? An HSA can be used with a debit card to pay ongoing expenses. Uh, Let's say I go to the doctor, and rather than write a check, I just whip out my debit card connected to my HSA that I have put money into. I pay with a debit card, uh, no problem. Now, uh, pre-tax contributions, as we talked about, can be withdrawn at any time to reimburse for qualified medical expenses that have occurred in the past. For example, if I didn't use my debit card to pay for the medical bill. Uh, I could write a check, I keep my receipts, 
and proof of payment and billing. And in a year or two, I could withdraw that money out of the HSA to reimburse myself for uh, that payment. Any funds not used in a given year may be rolled over from year to year. Funds may be invested for long-term growth. Now, HSA contributions are deemed triple tax-free. What that means are contributions are pre-tax, earnings and growth are tax-free, and qualified distributions are also tax-free. Note that the contributions, since they are both, since they are pre-tax, they're both pre-income tax and pre-payroll tax, meaning they're not subject to FICA. That will have an adverse effect, it may have an adverse effect on your Social Security benefits because any contributions to an HSA do not count as part of your Social Security earnings. Um, all right, HSA uh, sometimes is known as the Stealth IRA. Qualified distributions from an HSA may be withdrawn years or even decades after incurring and paying for those medical expenses. Just remember that the expenses must have been incurred after the HSA was set up, meaning medical expenses incurred prior to setting up your HSA are not permitted to be reimbursed. HSA account may be used to pay COBRA and Medicare premiums, including Medicare Advantage premiums, but not Medigap premiums, which are known as supplemental insurance. Um, HSAs cannot be used for regular medical premiums, only COBRA and Medicare premiums. Now, because the HSAs can grow tax-free for decades before making distributions, uh, th that's where the term the Stealth IRA came from. Because this is the only investment that you can get a tax deduction to put it in that will grow tax-free and come out tax-free at the end, as long as you have qualified medical expenses to be reimbursed for. There are a number of great pros for HSAs, but what about the cons? What do we need to look out for? Well, since you can reimburse medical expenses years or decades, as I mentioned, after incurring and paying the expense, keeping good records is critical. Many taxpayers are scanning bills, payments, and receipts each year, and they store them electronically in both the cloud and locally because when you make the withdrawals, you'll get a 1098 to show that you had uh, withdrawals from, a H from an HSA. And on your tax return, you'll have to uh, identify that those were qualified distributions. And you may need to prove that. Administratively, HSAs can be expensive. However, a number of larger employers do cover plan fees. Fidelity recently came out with a with their own HSA, which is a pretty good plan and inexpensive. Um, other cons: non-qualified distributions 
are subject to ordinary income tax plus a 20% penalty if you are a under age 65. So that is a pretty severe penalty. The biggest con I think about HSAs are non-spousal beneficiaries. So after you die, if your spouse is the beneficiary of your HSA, it becomes their HSA. It's not an inherited HSA, that is not a term. It's your HSA uh, that your spouse left to you. Or I guess I said that I died and my spouse became the beneficiary. Either way, spouses can inherit the HSA, no problem. If somebody other than your spouse is the beneficiary, that account is no longer an HSA. It automatically becomes a regular taxable account and the full value of this account is taxable to the beneficiary in the year of your death. However, uh, within one year of the date of death, the non-spouse beneficiary can pay any of your qualified medical expenses that were incurred before your death and that amount of expenses are subtracted from the amount that is taxable to the beneficiary. Um, so there can be some record keeping involved there. Um, in addition, if your estate somehow is the beneficiary of your HSA, again, the account uh, stops being an HSA and the value of that account is included as income on your final tax return. Uh, now, this information is from Mike Piper, the oblivious investor who does excellent work on his website. Um, his two primary financial planning implications are, if you're married, you should name your spouse as the beneficiary of your HSA. He says it's a good idea to prioritize spending down this account to the extent of qualified medical expenses and potentially beyond that, once you reach age 65, rather than your retirement accounts. The reason being that children and other non-spousal heirs will be inheriting an account that is fully taxable the year you die. Um, do remember that as long as both spouses are alive, you can it's recommended to let that grow tax-free as long as possible. When there is only the surviving spouse, at that point they should look about look to taking out qualified distributions and uh, no tax is ever paid on those. So again, my, my sources for this were the following, healthcare.gov, publication 969, Health Savings Accounts and Other Tax Favored Plans, IRS Publication 502, which is Medical and Dental Expenses, and of course, the obliviousinvestor.com, who Mike Piper does excellent work. I highly recommend reviewing his books <clears throat> along with reviewing his website. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments or questions, please email us at Plan Vision. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to the Plan Vision Podcast. Let us know if you have any questions or comments on the topics covered.